Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. Here's what's happening at Gateway Community Church. Sign up to serve during this Christmas season. There are opportunities all throughout December and on Christmas Eve. There is something for just about everyone, so don't wait until your favorite opportunity or preferred time fills up. Visit Next Steps after service or sign up online. Share the love of God and experience the value of generosity by visiting the giving area on the coffee shop stage or by going online. For our pre-kindergartners through fourth graders, Kids Town's Christmas will premiere Sunday, December 17th during our morning services. Photos with Santa and photos in our live nativity will also be available from 9 to 11.30 a.m. Christmas Eve invite cards are available today in the lobby. Take a few and invite a friend. Moms and dads, did you know your child can sing on stage during Christmas Eve? Learn more online. Here's everything you need to know for our Christmas Eve service. Our bilingual ministry will be having a service at 10 a.m. At 2, 4, and 6, we'll be having our candlelight services. The nursery will be available for all three. A communion service will take place at 11 p.m. Refreshments and family photos will be available in the Life Center from 3 to 6 p.m. Carve out some time this season to spend with God. Advent reading bookmarks are available in the lobby and online. Celebrate Recovery will meet on December 25th and January 1st. Celebrate Recovery is a great place to begin your journey of healing from hurts, habits, and hangups. Join us on Mondays in the Life Center at 7 p.m. Learn more at our website. Don't miss out when you're sick or out of town for the holidays. Join us on Facebook Live where you can catch everything that happens during the service. Join us today for communion after the first service in the Life Center or after the second service right here in the auditorium. Parents, remember to pick up your children before communion begins. Stay up to date with the latest news in your bulletin or visit our website at gateway-community.org. Thank you for being here and welcome to your journey. Well, as we continue to prepare and point toward Christmas Eve, we do want to remind you, as uh, Jessica said earlier, about signing up to help serve on Christmas Eve. It's great. A third of those places are already there. There's still two-thirds to go, and, and it's really important because it's not just about giving you something to do. It's about how we extend the love of Christ and hospitality to those that you invite and others invite, and to make it a, a wonderful day of serving our Lord. So we hope that you'll do that, and that you will invite. Uh, we have, as they mentioned, we created these cards that you can use to invite. We'll also be providing some... some uh, social media tools that you can use to share on your, on your pages and, and uh, through Instagram and things like that to encourage people and, and point them to, to all this. Um, on, on December 17th, 1903, Orville and Wilbur Wright finally succeeded in keeping their homemade plane aloft for 59 seconds. And, and of course, they were ecstatic. I mean, it was one of the great moments in history. And as a part of their excitement, they, were, they rushed a, a telegram to their sister in Dayton, Ohio. And it had a very simple message. It said, first sustained flight today, 59 seconds, hope to be home by Christmas. And she was so excited about their success, she wanted everybody to know, so she took the telegram to the newspaper and gave it to the other. And sure enough, the next day, splashed across the front page of the paper where was the headline with the Wright brothers' names, and it said, Popular Local Bicycle Merchants to Be Home for Christmas. I mean, it's, 
It's kind of crazy that the editor missed the whole point of the telegram. And it's just as easy for us to miss the importance of Christmas as we get caught up in in all the trappings of Christmas. And I'm not saying all the trappings are bad. There's a lot of fun stuff and things we enjoy, but they can can take on a life of their own and they can become overwhelming and, and we can lose sight of what is really important. So each week in this series, Come and Worship, we're digging back into the Christmas story itself and the folks who made, who made it up and, in order to keep the main thing the main thing. Last week, we looked at Joseph's, uh, Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, and, and we said there's not a whole lot we actually know about him, but what he did really mattered. And, and this week, we're turning to Mary But the truth of the matter is there's not a whole lot more that we know about her. Mary is mentioned in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But in the Gospel of John, her name is never even used. Instead, she's typically referred to as the mother of Jesus. From what we can tell, Mary grew up in Nazareth, a small town in southern Galilee. She was probably in her early to mid-teens when she was betrothed to Joseph. She is the only person mentioned in Scripture that was there throughout the whole story, from the birth of Jesus all the way to his death and, and, crucif- and crucifixion and, and, and his resurrection. Mary welcomed lowly ser- shepherds to her as well as g- great wise men and spoke with angels. She was there at the wedding in Cana of Galilee when Jesus performed his very first public miracle. And, and John indicates that Mary and Jesus' brothers stayed with Jesus and his disciples in Capernaum, though Matthew, Mark, and Luke all indicate that at times Mary and her, her other sons didn't seem to understand what Jesus was all about in his mission. And yet Luke tells us in Acts chapter 1 that Mary and Jesus' brothers had become part of Jesus' closest followers after his death, resurrection, and ascension. And yet, that's the last we read of her. We, we don't read her name, uh, nothing more directly about her from that point on, though tradition says she eventually moved with the Apostle John to live with him in the town of Ephesus. On a couple of occasions, after the shepherds came at the birth of Jesus and and also when Jesus remained behind at the temple when he was 12, Luke tells us that as Mary reflected on these things, she treasured or she pondered on what had happened. And, and she had a lot to treasure and ponder and reflect on from meeting an angel. I mean, how many of us have done that? To her miraculous conception, even though she was a virgin to the wonders surrounding the birth of Jesus, to the, to the message and, and miracles that he performed during his ministry years, to the criticisms and threats against him, and eventually his own death and then resurrection. And yet even as a teen, she had to face the scorn of becoming pregnant before marriage. And we have a video that kind of gives us a glimpse of what that time might have been like. Watch. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel. 
She was growing into a teenager and was living then in the obscure village of Nazareth in Galilee. She gathered the grain during the day and tended the lamp laid into the watches of the night. Her father knew the dedication of her work, her mother the kindness of her heart, her friends the curve of her smile. She stood on the threshold of womanhood. Among all the girls in the village, she had been noticed, chosen, betrothed, a child bride before whom lay only possibility. Her father could walk with pride in the city gates. Her mother could rest in the comfort of her daughter's future security. But then he came, unexpected, unannounced, spoke openly and without shame of pregnancy, virginity, and his son. Things men never discussed and women only whispered about behind closed doors. She questioned him about the particulars, but not about the promise. She knew the prophecies, and the angel's words rang true. She would be scorned and rejected, labeled as an adulteress in whispers and glances. There would be no more carefree walks to the market, no more happy trips to the well. Four hundred years her people had waited for hope, but God had been silent. Now he had spoken. The wait was about to end. Forty weeks. And then, Emmanuel, God with us. It was interesting as we were talking this week about this, this, uh, this week's message, uh, Betsy pointed out to us the, the, the strength and peace that Mary seemed to show through this and kind of I, you get a touch of that right at the end of that video at such a young age that it, it makes you realize that she must have had godly parents who took seriously their biblical role to raise their child. The Bible says train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And it's, it's a reminder of the critical role that every parent has to, to help lead their children to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and the church is here not to do it all for you because we can't. We only have them a short time each week, but to partner with you in that journey. That there are 936 weeks from birth to graduation. 936 weeks we can walk alongside you. And we want to help you make the most of every week. And we believe, parents, that, that your modeling of the importance of your faith, of living it out in your life, of your active participation in, in your faith, in your daily journey, in reading your Bible, in, in your participation in church are critical. Because faith is caught more even than it is taught. And so we don't want you to miss a single opportunity to invest in your children. And at the same time, we want to walk alongside you and we want to help. We want to encourage you. There are things that we can't do for you, but we can point you in the right direction. Because ultimately, in the end, God is, God is going to hold every one of us who are parents responsible for what, what did we do with the child or the children entrusted to you. And we want to help you in that journey. Well, we first meet... Mary, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 26, 
After Luke has already told us the story about a priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth and a miraculous pregnancy of their own, we're, we're told that they had not had any children and in fact they were very old. But soon they discovered that Elizabeth is pregnant with a very special child that she is to name John. And in fact, we will later know him to become John the Baptist, who was used by God to prepare the people for the coming of their Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, you can use the Version Bible app. If you have neither of those, we have an insert in your bulletin that you can pull out and use to read and follow along uh, and, and take notes. So in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now, it would seem to us that Mary was very young by today's standards, yet the truth of the matter is her betrothal and engagement to Joseph was not unusual for that day and time. Prior to the wedding, a couple would be betrothed or engaged for about a year, and, and in that day and time, it was as binding as we would understand marriage to be that could only be broken through divorce or death. And, and to, to, to do so... Uh, to step outside of that, put them to shame. During that time, legally bound together, they lived apart. They had uh, none of the rights of marriage, including a sexual relationship. And so if they stepped outside of that, if they broke that, at the very least would bring shame upon them and upon their families. And yet the Bible is very clear. It's important both for that time and for us to understand. It wants to point out that Mary is a virgin. In spite of what happens to her, she, yes, she's young by our standards, but she has, been, uh, she has abided by the rules of betrothal or engagement for her time. She is a virgin. That word is used over and over again because the writers want us to understand the importance of this. And, and we can imagine that the truth of the matter is there was probably nothing unusual about her life until the angel Gabriel comes to visit her. A lot of times we want to paint her as this super holy person, this amazing person of belief, but there's nothing biblically that points us to that. Um, in fact, contrary to Catholic doctrine, there's nothing to say that, in fact, Mary never sinned. We would expect that she did because the only person the Bible says who never did sin was Jesus. And so what we have here is a very young ordinary teenage girl, most likely fairly poor. And, and the truth of the matter is her story could really kind of almost be any of our stories. That, that what she has gone through, being a regular person, growing up in an environment with parents who taught her the Word of God, but still she was human like the rest of us. Is important for us to recognize, to relate to her, to see her as not somebody way up here that we could never relate to, but could be as, as ordinary as the person seated next to you. The Bible says Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. 
The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. It's kind of interesting to me that, that Mary seems to be more startled and troubled about what Gabriel said than, than by his presence. I don't know about you, but, but angels appearing in my life has not been a normal part of my experience. I mean, in fact, as far as I know, I've never uh, entertained angels. Now, the Bible says be, a, be careful because you never know when you might be entertaining them unaware. So I'm not saying it's never happened, but I'm saying it's not a part of my history, and I suspect it's probably not been a part of most of your histories. So when somebody either appears or, you know, suddenly it, it speaks with a voice that booms or has this halo over their head or I don't know what it was, but whatever the case may be, it had to be pretty awe-inspiring. And yet, the Bible says she was much more focused in on what he said. And, and, and if we think about it, there's some, it, it makes sense. All of us want to know that we're loved and accepted by someone, and, and particularly by God, that he cares about us. And yet, all of us, somewhere within have deep, nagging doubts at times, at least, that this might not be true. And if Mary is like the rest of us, then she was no exception. As amazing as this, the presence of this angel is even more amazing than is the message that he brings. For he tells her that she is God's favored one. And, and, and that's a message I think that all of us would love to hear. To hear from God. But even when we do, or if we do, hopefully it's always when. Do we really believe it? Do we really think he could honestly say that to me? I think for a lot of us, our doubts find it hard to believe. M many Christians, maybe all of us at one time or another, struggle with this. Uh, marriages could be totally transformed and saved. Uh, uh, lives could be redeemed if individuals only could accept this great truth that God truly does love us, love you. And when I say you, I don't simply mean plural you, like all of you, but I mean singular you, like each and every one of you. And yes, God knows your story, and God's seen everything you've done, and yet still, he loves you. Oh, how he loves us. It goes against, though, the message of the world around us that tells you that your value comes from what you have or who you know or where you went to school or how much money you make, you know? Or sometimes even, that quite honestly, you don't have any value. You're worthless. You're irrelevant. You don't matter. The truth is, Mary would have been a nobody in her time. And probably our time as well. At least by the standards of the world. But the angel Gabriel says that she is God's favored one. And it's interesting, that, favored, that word favorite is actually used only twice in the New Testament. It's used here and in Ephesians 1, verse 6. 
Luke here uses it to speak of what God has done for Mary, for her, that he has, he has called her to be a favored one. But in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that it is for all who follow or trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says God predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. And he lavished on us, there's that word, he lavished on us in the beloved one. Or in another translation, the New Living, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. And when he says in advance, he doesn't mean hours or days before. He means before the beginning of time, before the creation of the universe. He already saw your life. He already had chosen you and decided that you would be born and that you mattered to him. And he wanted you to be adopted into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. Just imagine that. It gives him great pleasure to want to adopt every single person into his family. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us. There's that phrase again. Poured out on us who belong to his dear son. The Greek verb is cheratuo, which in these verses is translated either as lavished on us or poured out on us. And has the sense of that as we are receptive to God's grace, God extends himself. He steps out of where he is to freely bestow his grace, his favor upon us, upon you. In other words, because Mary trusted God and and, and sought him in her daily life, thanks probably to her parents and the way they had invested in her through the years. God chose her. And he didn't just say, I want you. He chose her to lavish, to pour out his grace upon her as the mother of the Messiah, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible also tells us from Ephesians that it has always been God's plan, always, to pour out or to lavish this same grace upon you and me. That, that while he did it for Mary, he wants to do it for all of us as we choose to believe and trust in Mary's son, Jesus Christ. In other words, the favor and blessing that Gabriel offers Mary on behalf of the Lord is given and offered to each one of us through his Son. God wants you to be his favored one as well. He wants to pour out his grace on you. He wants to lavish it on you. So what startled Mary really also ought to startle us if we really understand what he is doing. And the angel Gabriel tells her what this favor means for her life. Verse 31, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. In other words, he is going to be the Messiah. Mary doesn't dismiss this, and, 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 and yet it's, it's, it's so incredible. Instead, she wants to understand how it would happen. And so Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Again, there is that emphasis that she has done nothing wrong. 
It's not that she doubts, but she doesn't understand because she knows how women become pregnant. And she knows because she is a virgin, that could not have happened to her. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And then to encourage her, Gabriel points her to another miraculous event. He says, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. Listen to that again. Nothing will be impossible with God. And Gabriel says that. We may, in theory, we may agree with that. We may say, well, yeah, I mean, he's God. He created everything in the world. God can certainly do the impossible. But, but unfortunately, so often when it comes to our lives, when it comes to my life, I'm not always so sure. He may do the impossible for Mary because she was someone special. He may do the impossible for you, preacher, or he may do the impossible for so-and-so, but but would he ever do the impossible for me? Would he ever really forgive me of my sins, of the things that I have done wrong, of the hurts that I've done, of of the ways that I have misled people? Could he really love me knowing all that junk? Does he really have a plan for my life? If if he knew of me from the beginning of time and has a plan, could he care about me that much? Could he heal a relationship I'm in that is struggling right now? That no matter how hard I try, I just seem to make it worse? Could he bring good from my troubles right now? Could he bring some good out of it if I trust him? See, we can can hear what the Bible says. We can say, yeah, I agree with that. I, 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 I hear what you're saying. But all too often, we don't believe it. Or at least that it would apply to me. Or at least that it could come into my life. That it could happen for me. Our doubts too often feel like they overwhelm our faith. But, but Scripture over and over again points that faith isn't a feeling, but a choice, a decision in the face of doubt. And, and even the impossible. You see, faith has no meaning if you can't have a doubt. If you don't have doubt about something, if it's true, if it's a fact, if I can prove that this floor is hard, I don't have to have faith in standing on it. But when Peter stepped out of the boat and walked out onto water, he had to have faith that he could take that step because it wasn't obvious. He believed Jesus was the Son of God, But until he stepped out in faith, he wasn't sure. And one of the reasons that we need the church, we need each other, 
is that we need to be reminded that God really can and does do the impossible, that he's done it over and over again in history. And he, he in fact, has often done it, maybe even in our own lives or the lives of those around us, and yet we have forgotten. All you got to do is look around you, and I guarantee you, someone within two or three people of you has had a miracle happen in their life has said something amazing happened, and yet it is easy for us to forget. It's easy for us to look back and think, well, that was then, or to dismiss it, or it just kind of slips from our memory. We're no different from the way people have always been. Over and over again in the Old Testament, God had to remind the Jews that he had liberated them from the Egyptians, and in fact, he called them to an annual celebration called the Passover to relieve Relive God doing the impossible. It wasn't just that, that they had forgotten a year later. It was the fact that within days of crossing through the, the Red Sea, they already doubted that God could do the impossible. I mean, you would think if you walked through this wall of water, you would think that people would get it. And if God says, don't worry, I will provide you food or I will provide you water, we can trust him. But those, those first Hebrews are no different from us. Out of sight, out of mind, we forget, we get busy. Other people scoff at us, and, and, and so we don't think it, it could happen. And that's why God said, and you will do this event called the Passover every year because you will forget and you need to remember and the early church said, we're going to celebrate Christmas every year, and we're going to celebrate Easter every year to remember and reclaim that God still does the impossible, that God who created the universe was born into flesh and blood as an innocent, helpless baby, that God in Christ was on the cross and crucified and dead, and he arose in fact, the early church knew that we needed even to we need to remember more than just a couple of times a year. And so, for the Jew, the Jews who had worshipped on Saturdays, the, the Christians decided we're going to move worship to Sunday. Why? Because Sunday was the day of resurrection, and so every Sunday will be a little Easter. A day when we once again come and celebrate what God has done so that as we go through our week, we never have to go more than a week without being reminded of what God has done for us, that he died for us on the cross because I forget. In fact, I forget so much that God calls us to spend time with him daily in reading the Bible and, and, and praying because even today, this morning, it's already been possible for many of us to sin because even if we read our Bible first thing this morning, we got distracted. We said something hurtful to our spouse or to our kids or our minds drifted and, and we had impure thoughts or whatever it may be. We're no different. And so God has continued to give us means to remember. And that's why we tell you to come to church. I mean, you know what? My life would be easier if I didn't have to prepare a sermon every week. We could say, okay, let's do this once a month. But the Bible calls us to do this weekly. And, and it's not, hey, here's a good idea. The Bible says, don't neglect to meet together as some are doing. It calls us to this because God wants 
his abundant life for you and me. And yet the world we live in and the, and the circumstances of our lives cause us to forget. We need to spend that time with him every day. Mary, regardless of what she was feeling, she chose to believe. She said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In other words, whether she was hearing an angel speak, which is probably not an experience most of us had, or we've heard God speak through his word, the Bible, we say, let it happen to me. Let me trust. Let me believe what you are telling me, God. Mary see, is a great example of faith for every single one of us. She is a great example because, precisely because she is just like us. She was born in normal circumstances, in a backwater village. She didn't grow up wealthy. She experienced all the things that human beings experience. She was blessed to have parents who invested the faith into her. As many of you are doing with your children, as many did to you. And why we are here and have to keep doing that. But her humble beginnings, her internal doubts are all a part of us as well. And yet she chose to believe God's word. She had faith. And that's really what faith is. It's choosing to believe what God says is true in spite of what I feel or what others believe or what others say to me. Only later, as she visited Elizabeth and saw, oh my goodness, she really is pregnant, six months pregnant. As she herself discovered she was pregnant and carried to term nine months an infant child, would she know that Gabriel's words were true? Up until that point, it was faith. And she chose to believe it. Some people say, you know, if an angel came and spoke to me, man, uh, if God did some miracle in my life, I would, I would believe from here on out. There's no doubt about it. I would never, I would never waver. And yet, how many of us have experienced a miracle? How many of us have maybe even heard an angel speak? And we find ourselves drifting away. No, I'm not saying we do it necessarily intentionally. I can point to at least a couple of times in my life where I'm convinced that God healed me. And yet, I can still forget. A lot of folks saw Jesus perform miracles. A lot of them saw him perform miracles that last week he was here on earth. And a lot of them then cried out, crucify him. The Bible says in John 12, even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. If you think you have to have a miracle to believe, trust me, even those who have had can forget. The, Egypt, the Hebrews had miracle upon a miracle, and yet they still grumbled and forgot. We have the Bible, the record of God's miracles and signs from earlier times. We have the testimony of, of Christians around us. Many of you have, have shared your testimony in various ways, and yet for all the signs and miracles that are out there, the question is still the same for each and every one of us. Do I 
choose to trust and believe? Do I, today, Bible says faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Someone said faith is the wire that connects you to grace over which grace comes streaming from God. Another person said faith is a day-by-day process in which God will show us what to do moment by moment. It's not this one-time decision. It's a lifestyle, a culture. A.W. Tozer describes the unusual characteristics of a Christian who lives by faith. He writes, a real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one whom he has never seen. Talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see. Expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another. Empties himself in order to be full. Admits he is wrong so he can be declared right. Goes down in order to get up is strongest when he is weakest, richest when he is poorest, and happiest when he feels worst. He dies so he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passeth knowledge. How could Mary believe? How could she watch all the things that had happened to her son and still believe? Her answer is our answer, faith. And that same faith that started Mary down her journey, that kept her going when her son suffered, is the same faith that can sustain you and me. Mary's message, and in fact the message of Christmas, is that God really does love you. You personally. You individually. He cares for you. And the proof is Mary's son, God's only Son, Jesus Christ. And what's more, He cares for and loves those who, who are around you who haven't responded. It's not just for the, the quote-unquote good people who come to church. That, his love is for all those who have fallen short of the glory of God, for those who have yet to come to Him, for those who scorn Him, for those who use His name in vain. He hasn't given up on them, and He doesn't want you or me give up either. That's why Christmas is, is, is such good news and it's such a great time to invite and why we encourage you to do that. It's why we encourage you to read God's word every day because you and I need that. And that's why we provided a reading plan of daily readings in the month of December to keep you and me, to keep the main thing the main thing. It's why this morning we're going to, in just a couple of minutes, going to offer communion after this service as an opportunity for you to be more intentional about remembering for yourself because what did Jesus say? Jesus said, do this. Eat this bread, drink this juice in remembrance of me. He didn't do it. To, he didn't say do this to look good. Do this to take up some extra time. He said to do it because you and I need to remember what Jesus, in fact, did. And that's the good news that you and I have to declare. For us, as it was for Mary, but for everyone else you know, 
And when you offer them, you're offering them something that they cannot find anywhere else. They will search. You've searched. I've searched. But the good news is Jesus Christ died for you and me on the cross that we might have life and have it abundantly because God loves us, you, each one. Our prayer team will be here on the far sides. And if you need to talk to somebody about that, if you need somebody to pray with you about that, if you need to talk to somebody about welcoming Jesus into your life, they would love to do that with you this morning. I'm going to be out these doors with some friends. would love to welcome or greet you, if you're, especially if you're new. Um, and if you brought someone with you, I hope you'll bring them up and, and, and introduce them. Let's close by praying. Gracious God, it seems so hard to believe when we look at our lives, when we know what we've done, when we know what we think, when we know even this morning how our mind has wandered from you and, and been distracted or even gone into places that we had no business going, we know how far we fall short of the glory of God. And yet you still love us. And the message of Christmas, the message that Mary received is that by faith we can believe that and accept that. May we respond as she did, in spite of how she may have felt, to, to grab onto and accept, to choose to believe that which even now we may not feel. And what's more, may we not only accept it, but once it's in us and a part of us, Father, allow us to be instruments to share that with others. Because even as we have struggled, there are others who are struggling and others who are hurting and others who, in fact, maybe are struggling even more. And they need good news. We are here for your sake because you created us. You have a plan for our lives. Use us, therefore, for your glory. We pray, we ask. Use us to serve at Christmas. Use us to love our neighbors. Use us to worship you in spirit and truth. Use us to spend time in your word. Use us to love, we ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. See you next week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.